Well, hello there, folks. So nice to see you again on the Industrial Cybersecurity Pulse podcast. Welcome back. Uh, happy to be here with you. I'm Gary Cohen. And I am Tyler Wall. And it's crazy how you guys just kind of snuck into the room, right, as we were about to record. I'm so glad you guys could make it. I wasn't even paying attention. I look up and there there they were. There were the listeners. And, and I guess we have to start talking now. Yeah, all three of them. Yeah. Conveniently, though, I had my mic all hooked up and I was ready to go. It just happened that way that I was ready when everybody showed up. The three people, the three the three listeners that we that we have. Uh, thanks for joining yeah. us again today. Um, excited to bring this one to you. Got another great guest. We often do. It's a Kotler, who's the CTO of Safe Breach. Uh, will be talking to us a little bit later today. Uh, b- before we start that, though, before we start that, I have a question for yeah. you, Tyler. I have the question of the pod. Um, I think it's my turn to ask you a question. If it's not, I'm just doing it anyway. All right. You, Tyler Wall, are a musician. This is true. Yes. That I am. Okay. Yes. Uh, who do you consider to be your musical influences or musical influence if you'd like to go singular? Ooh. Yeah, I think, well, yeah, I play a lot of different instruments. So I would say we'll, we'll go with like maybe... Maybe like guitar. Um, we'll stick with guitar. We'll go with like my first instrument, which was guitar. Um, I think a lot of, I mean, my just saying my guitar teacher would be lame, uh, but he was, I would say, uh, shout out to Mr. Shepard. Hope you're <laughs> doing well in retirement. Um, I'm sure he's listening. And then, yeah, I know, right? And then, uh, but then by the time I was in, like high school and jazz band and all of that, it was probably like some various jazz guitarists. So like, um, I can't, it's, it's bad. Cause I can't remember their names now. Uh, but one of them, you know, he was a big, they're all big guitar players, but, um, yeah. So it's a various I, guitarists. I, I, know I will say this would have landed a lot better. Had you remembered any of their names? I know. I really would have. Yeah, I would say, okay, yeah, I'm remembering his name right. Um, Freddie Green, I would say, is maybe one of them. He was uh, like a big jazz guitarist, like in the like the mid nine, uh, I say 90s, mid 1900s, I should say. So early 1900s or so. Um, he was a guy, he didn't really solo ever. He was a big, um, just like holding down the groove in the background kind of guy. So uh, I was told to listen to a lot of him. And by the time I was done listening to a lot of him, it was a lot of me trying to kind of imitate what he was doing to help get the effect that my jazz teacher, shout out Mr. Townley, was looking for. So everybody's getting shout outs today. I know. But wow. Yeah. For All that, right, well, how many, what that. instruments do you play? Guitar? What else? I know there's some drums. So I play. In yeah, but I played guitar. I played drums. I played part of percussion, which is part of percussion is drums, but, you know, different uh, malleted instruments that be marimba vibraphone i mean once you learn how to play one you can play all of them um i can play a little bit of piano uh if you were to like like let's say it was like you're at church on sunday and they're like oh my gosh we need a piano player i could probably survive a whole service playing piano but anything beyond just your basic chords i probably could not i can't do anything um so i would say those are my core ones i mean i know how to play bass just because i know how to play guitar you know those go relatively hand in hand um steel drums can't forget about the steel pans mm, um nice i haven't played those in a while so i don't know if i really maintained any of it anymore at one point i could play them relatively well but 
Yeah, I don't know. Percussion comes with a lot of instruments in there, though, so it, it really uh, broadens your scope. I learned to play trombone for about a year, um, but I didn't stick with that for very long because my mom was mad at me because I was basically... I I picked that up in high school, and she was like, uh, all that money I spent on drum lessons for you is going to go out the door if you play trombone, so you're not playing trombone. Uh, so that's kind of where that ended. I, I kind of feel that same way. It's a weird co correlation, but uh, my kids, when they were in elementary school, both learned Spanish for several years, and then they got to middle yeah. school, and they're like, I want to learn French. I'm like, but you, you got like three years of Spanish that you're just throwing away. <laughs> you're starting yeah. over. Why are you doing this? So, <laughs> yeah. yeah. Anyway, I'm sure they'll spend a lot of time in France as they get older. Um, yeah, they will. I, I will also... Uh, Making admissions every once in a while, Tyler and I will listen back to these and we're like, man, we sounded tired on that podcast. And sometimes we sound like a, we have a lot of energy. Full disclosure, I am I am fighting jet lag like crazy as we record this. We uh, I was recently on a, a little trip uh, halfway around the globe and it is I'm like popping awake every night at two thirty in the morning. And yeah, it's it's uh, it's been a chore to stay awake this week. Mm -hmm. yeah i can imagine yeah for me it was just a big old trade show week so yeah you're clocking the fifteen thousand steps a day having to socialize god forbid um but yeah so it's been a busy week you're obviously yes you are you've been wiped for the whole week so <laughs> i have been yeah it's been uh yeah i went to the maldives which is about as far away from here in Chicago, as you can possibly get, uh, About, yeah, like 36 hours of travel to get there. It's a uh, beautiful, mm -hmm. beautiful there, but woof, man, it is, uh, I've been back for like five days and I am still battling. So I'm, I'm <laughs> hoping by the time we're recording on a Friday, I'm hoping by the time I show up on Monday, I'm back to like partially human. Yeah. This is as good it's as I can the weekend get. To reset. Um, so I don't know. Tyler, you think we should talk cybersecurity at any point during this? Probably probably for a couple minutes at least. Okay, let's do it for a couple minutes. And then we'll let the really yeah. smart person talk about it instead of us. Uh, like I said, yeah, we got Itzik right. Kotler coming on, who is the CTO of SafeBridge. Uh, really interesting guy. And we talk kind of through a lot of aspects of industrial cybersecurity. Um, you know, he, he begins by talking about, you know, the, which we talk about a lot on this, is... The kind of positives and negatives, the sort of angel and devil on your shoulder of technology, which is, you know, technology obviously is simplifying and streamlining a ton of things that we're doing, especially in things like automation and cybersecurity. And when you bring in AI and machine learning, but it also brings complexity, which opens you up to vulnerabilities. So, we, you know, we kind of start there. We talk about some best practices, cyber hygiene. Um, but yeah, we, we, we go through a, a, a lot of the kind of ABCs, if I think of industrial cybersecurity. Yeah, we do. And he had some great stuff to say, too, about, you know, what are the greatest weaknesses when a cyber attack is to occur? And I won't spoil it for you, but um, I don't think you'll find it shocking either. So, uh, yeah, just some good information to there about you know, what to look out for, what to help increase in terms of, you know, protection against these different cyber threats to give your operation facility the best chance to survive. Exactly. And with that, why don't we just bring him in? So it's a Kotler. It. He has over 20 years of experience in the cybersecurity space. He began his career as a member of the elite unit 8200 in the Israeli Defense Forces. 
before joining the private sector in a variety of security roles, including, in, including Security Operations Center Team Leader for Radware and CTO of Security Art. In 2014, he co-founded SafeBreach, where he currently serves as CTO. He's a member of the Forbes Technology Council, a fellow at the Institute for Critical Infrastructure Technology, and a strategic advisor for both uh, for both Next Gen Cyber and Cyber AG. And now that I'm thinking about this, as tired as I am, I really should have had Tyler read that intro. <laughs> but with that, <laughs> with my fumbling through that intro, let's bring in Mr. Kotler. All right, Itzy, thank you so much for being with us today. We're excited to talk to you. Thank you for having me. Uh, we always like to start off by just getting to know who we're talking to. We have not been introduced until today, so we don't know a ton about you. Um, so tell us a little bit about your background and kind of how you got to where you are today. Sure. Um, so my name is Itzy Kotler, and I'm the CTO and co-founder of a company called Save Beach. And for the past 10 years, I've been um, handling offensive security um, for defensive purposes. So Save Beach is a company that's built in a, a hack simulator attack simulator for the purpose of testing. And in my personal background in information security, I've been doing it for almost uh, 20 years now, um, mostly on the offensive path, which means doing vulnerability, exploits, um, pen testing. And that kind of led me to this notion that um, introducing offensive for defensive is what can change the equation. And then save which, and here we are. Interesting. So obviously, we talked a little bit before we started recording about some of the the uh, recent attacks on the OTICS space. Yes, there's been a ton of cyber attacks lately that have made headlines. Many, many more that have not. Uh, what are some of the key factors contributing to the kind of in increasing danger of cyber threats across various sectors, including critical infrastructure and manufacturing? I think you know the uh, the the sophistication of the threat in some cases contributes. We talked about it, how you can take like a, a thousand Windows machines and that would be just another day in the office. But if you take down a critical infrastructure computer that has a function that can affect physical life, like we talked about a nuclear reactor, for instance, this is a game changer. Although there could be other safety mechanisms in place that are not related to it, yet the idea of taking over a computer that controls something in a nuclear reactor is definitely getting the headlines. But um, in, in all honesty, what, what we're seeing, especially from a sophisticated adversaries, is the use of cyber as a, some sort of a weapon, right? It's no longer just creating damage or defacement or DDoS, but it's actually changing the functionality of some of those systems. And this is, of course, very scary. And this, of course, opened the possibilities to um, um, many, many different ways that things can go wrong, honestly. So, you know, as cybersecurity and the growing threats, I guess, have uh, started to rise almost in parallel, we've seen, you know, just generally speaking, technology also just improve greatly. And so how have some of these different emerging technologies like IoT and 5G impacted the threat landscape for uh, ICS and operational technology environments? So it's a great question, Tyler. I think there's actually two two things to consider here is that Security is always an appendix of every new technology. So as when you introduce something like 5G or IoT, regardless of the benefits, immediately raise the question, what kind of attack vector is this going to expose us to, right? 5G or, I mean, just any technology as a whole, you have a new software, you have a new hardware, all these things can potentially have vulnerabilities 
all these things can now in increase your attack surface. So technology is great, but technology also brings complexity and also security appendix. On the other hand, we look at technology as an enabler. In the past, things would be hard to patch, hard to reach. Maybe some of those security procedures would involve physical um, elements. And now with some technologies, those things can be streamlined. So again, this technology can also be help maintain, help update, just in general, help getting more observability and even security measurements in environments that in the past were challenging. So there is a healthy trade-off here. Technology embedded into these infrastructures creates accessibility, ease of use, streamlining, at the same time, introducing also potential vulnerabilities. So I guess on the topic of vulnerabilities here, you are excellent at providing us great segues. Uh, you know, vulnerabilities that uh, manufacturing OT, oh, sorry, manufacturers face in their OT networks, you know, it's a big conversation, especially just because OT environments tend to be fairly outdated. Um, what are some common vulnerabilities that manufacturers typically face in their OT networks? And how can these vulnerabilities be exploited by cyber attackers? Sure. So I think you you know you, you called it out as as you know being these technologies being outdated. Let's just use the word legacy, right? So um, in in many of the times when you think about why does a business um, you know update their technology, it's usually for the purpose of enabling more business, usually for the purpose of making more money and spending less on the operation, right? But in some of these OT components. Right, you have a factory, the factory is working. It's not very clear what's going to be the advantage of deploying the latest and greatest operation system. I mean, there's very, very obvious shortcoming, taking down the factory, making an update, all those things can go wrong. And so there is this famous say, if it's ain't broken, don't fix it. And that's a little bit of the approach. Now, there's also to be said that the OT environment has complexity of managing it because some of the vendors doesn't even give you the access to do some of the maintenance that the IT side of the house can. It's not always clear that you can take an MRI machine or you can take any one of those complex devices and just install the latest and greatest. And so legacy is a fact of life, outdated operation systems, outdated software. And then if you think about it from the adversary perspective, once the adversary research those platforms, let's say a legacy Windows or a legacy Linux, and they found those vulnerabilities, once the knowledge exists and you have an exploit, now the, the natural thing to do is to update, right? The natural thing to do is to get the, the next patch and not be vulnerable. But because it's not a possibility, as we spoke about some of the challenges, this is where things get tricky. This is where you have to think about compensating controls. Okay, you can't update, but then what else can you do? And now how well is that compensating control will be? That's, that's a big question. And so as we're kind of observing this suboptimal path where updating is not always an opportunity or a possibility, and then other controls or other procedures needs to kick in, this is what these uh, companies have to deal with. One of the other things that I think fascinates me about this, and, and obviously this has been exploited in recent years, is the supply chain. I mean, there are not many plant floors where everything's Rockwell or everything's Siemens. It's, you know, and and, and a, in a Siemens product, not every piece in that Siemens product, whatever, your skater, your HMI, comes from Siemens. There's third-party manufacturers that are contributing. So how can manufacturers start to ensure the security of this kind of diverse supply chain that's out there right now? 
Yeah, it, it's actually, Gary, it's actually a very tough concern. And it's it's also a very valid concern also for the IT environment. I mean, if you think yeah. about it, in the IT, it's the open source and other types of software that basically gets bundled in sometimes commercial products or even at large. Uh, and of course, when you look at the OT side of the house, things can also be as much as even chips or different type of hardware components that not, won't be manufactured, would be OEM. And yeah, I mean, the complexity is huge and obviously the risk is different between IT and OT. But again, when you think about some of the, um, again, the challenges, it's interesting to think about it, but the same challenges the operators has to handle their OT environment, the adversaries also has it. For instance, if there's air gap environment, Right. If there is no particular way of having those devices connected to the internet, even if you do have a supply chain issue, there is there is some kind of a mitigation. I'm making an air quote, a mitigation here. It's not a real mitigation, but you know, it will be harder for the adversary to use that supply chain if the device is air gap or if the network is air gap. So it's not always a possibility, as you mentioned, the complexity of those different devices can be very big, very spiral, and it's not always clear who developed what and what kind of software is running. Again, that's where, it, from a risk management perspective, we have to look at it top to bottom and understand, okay, if there is a device that might be compromised, what can we do? What's the blast radius, right? What's next to it? Where is it deployed? What can we do on the network level? What can we do between different components? We have to kind of do a divide and conquer because there's obviously not going to be a situation where everything is under control. We have 100% visibility and control on everything. So this is where trade-off starts, right? What what do we allow? What we don't allow? How good we can monitoring it if does if thing does go a little bit off the script? Absolutely. I, I'm going to kind of go to the 30,000 foot view here. What are some of the most common attack vectors cyber criminals are using right now to infiltrate companies? I mean, we can specifically in the I, I, uh, the uh, OTICS space. Yes. So, I mean, we, we can take it from the top, like just in general, and then kind of dive in a little bit, you know, in, into the uh, specifics areas. So again, unfortunately, as we know, um, humans are tends to be, you know, the weakest link in most of the cases. And um, again, without mentioning any names, but at the time of this recording, there's a couple of breaches that has been disclosed and the human element, the employee has been uh, named as one of those um, risk factors. So you get into a company through social engineering, through phishing, MFA fatigue, there's a couple of ways that has been widely reported. This also not to discount that there's also vulnerabilities that sometimes adversaries are using, but you land somewhere usually on the IT side of the house. And from there, you know, you try to lateral move yourself, obviously depending on which the victim that you got access to, he or she might not have access to the environment that you're looking for. So you have to do some kind of internal legwork to understand like what's a privileged account, who has access to the environment you're looking for. And so once the adversary kind of set up a base in the IT and is jumping from different computers, they will then quickly understand or they will eventually understand, you know, where the target, who has access. And once they establish base on that computer, it's usually the, the human machine interface, the HMI, um, that they will have access to. So again, there's a lot of this equipment is obviously controlled in different protocols that are not always IT friendly. There are ways that these factories are connected in a way there's jump boxes 
that does allow the IT and OT bridge. And then this unfortunately has been exploited in the past, those IT components or, or standardized components on the OT side of the house that runs a Windows, that runs a Linux. They can be a victim of a ransomware just like an unemployed computer. And so this is eventually what we're seeing uh, again, this, of course, I'm describing a path that is not sophisticated. This is not a, a tailor hand hoc operation to make a machinery change cycles, but this is more of like a destruction or a ransomware where my job is to try to sabotage your business and you're getting to pay me as an adversary to make me go away. But um, this kind of like how things unravel going from the IT to the OT tends to be pretty the same um, for either objectives. So we spent a lot of time kind of here talking about the cyber attacker side, right? We're talking a lot about, you know, just where a lot of these vulnerabilities are. Maybe we can it's time to kind of switch over to the cyber hygiene side here. Uh, what are some essential cybersecurity hygiene practices that organizations should implement to reduce their cyber risks, especially in OT environments? Yeah, so we talked about, you know, the the, the number one, which is the legacy software and, and how much they're able through their operational cycles or even from an equipment perspective to make sure that they're up to date and they're maintaining that. And so, you know, from an hygiene perspective, this is obviously, you know, the best thing that you can do is keep your cyber hygiene at this optimal level. Now, again, if OT is not the is not possible, then you look in the secondary, you know, secondary degree or third degree, which is the IT, you know, making sure that your computers are up to date, making sure that you do patch management on the IT side of the house in order to reduce you know, the likelihood of those computers being exploited and being used in a in a broader campaign. Um, again, you know, we, when you talk about, you know, um, cyber hygiene, it's also a little bit about how you structure the network, right? Is the control access. Is this anybody in your company needs to have access to DOT? Does anybody in the company needs to have promiscuous access to different systems? Keeping things on the, the path of the least privileged, although it's easier said than done, is another hygiene that basically can help reduce the attack surface. Eventually, we always have to understand there's gonna be a risk and that risk needs to be calculated and that's where compensating controls are, are coming in. But if everything is possible in your company and there is practically no, no check and balances, then yeah, then you're, you're more vulnerable than the others. So another part of cybersecurity that really isn't talked about probably as much as it should is establishing a culture of cybersecurity, right? Open conversation, everybody's on the same page, wanting the same things in terms of cybersecurity. Uh, how can companies establish a culture of cybersecurity awareness and responsibility among their employees from factory floor to the boardroom? I think that's uh, that's an excellent question. And it's, it's kind of come down to this uh, old joke that security used to be the department of no. And in many companies in the past, or in many people's experience in the past, you used to come to the, whoever's doing security in your company, and you would say, hey, I want to do A, B, and C, and they would be like, no, you can't do that. Um, and so the joke is that security is a department of how, not a department of no. But then it puts it on both sides to show responsibility and understand Sometimes you might be as a business stakeholder would like to develop this new app or create this new great website that you really believe is going to help the business. However, there's risk that needs to be considered and there's mitigation control that needs to be purchased. And so perhaps not everything can happen on day one or perhaps security needs to be plugged in in multiple places. 
in the past, these kind of like opposite powers between security and business need or security and technology created this tension that, as you said, needs to create this new culture that everybody's doing cybersecurity. And cybersecurity is in everything that we do. When you open an email, there is a concern that you can get phished. When you're copying a file, there is a risk that that file might contain something sensitive, right? And so by embedding cybersecurity and making it a business enabler and not the department of no, but the department of how, the business can win and reduce the risk. And so as many companies, executives, and even employees adopt this mentality, the company as a whole would have a cybersecurity culture. Another part of that, and we've talked to, to a lot of people on this podcast about it who are in incident response, but a lot of times when companies get hit, especially small to medium-sized companies, there is no incident response plan. They're being entirely reactive. How important is it as part of creating that cybersecurity culture to make sure that you have an incident response plan in place? And, and how should a company get going on that path to creating proper incident response? It, it's challenging in many regards because as we think about kind of like from, from left to right, right? Incident response is the most reactive place that you can as a company be, right? You already get hacked, you understand this. You Maybe maybe even the adversary made themselves aware of it. Maybe they changed a the wallpaper, you got a ransom note, right? And so incident response is the most reactive place. A lot of companies and traditionally the industry has tried to be more to the left of it, right? You buy security products for the promise that you won't have an incident response. You buy all these different, you know, network controls and endpoint controls. And, and th this is the promise, right? You implement them, you do right, you won't get to it. The unfortunate reality is that, you know, it's no longer the question if you're going to get hacked, it's when you're going to get hacked. And first of all, not, not everybody understand that. And I think that's that's one big shift that companies needs to adopt is understanding the realities that giving enough time, somebody will hack them. Uh, and also we have to understand that in some even cases, the threat might be an insider threat. It might be even an employee, a rug employee, or you know some kind of a supply chain. So a lot of times also the notion is that, oh, I'm, I'm good on the outside, but well, an outside attacks is just one part of the landscape. There's also other parts. And so once you move your mindset to the understanding that this, this is going to be your reality, then it kind of makes sense, depending on your business, to understand how much you can afford for the incident response. I mean, you can obviously build it as a full-time employees. You can outsource a company. You can use cyber insurance and hedge some of that through insurance play. I mean, there is obviously a financial conversation to be made. There is different costs, but I don't think it should be the question of um, should we as a company have an incident response? The answer is 100% yes. Now, depending on our industry, our budget, what is the right plan to fit our company, our business side? Makes perfect sense. So, so given your background, I've been waiting to ask this question. I saved it sort of toward the end here. Um, obviously, security tools are designed to protect networks and systems. Yep. They can also be exploited by cyber criminals. So yes. can you kind of walk us through how security tools can become attack vectors? Yes. So um, I, I think you, you said it yourself very great, Gary. No, there, there's a commercial reality to security controls. And first of all, they are software just like any other software and they can be abused. 
And matter of fact, some of the work that Save Beach Labs has done in the past is to show that you can create a ransomware from an EDR. Um, you know, an EDR, Endpoint Detection Response Software, is not above having vulnerabilities or logical flows. It can, in certain situations, be abused, and we have proved it in the past. So first of all, the understanding is that, you know, that there is no silver lining here, and you need to manage the risks using security controls just like any other. And the second of all is, is understanding the commercial realities that, you know, you might buying a product under the promise that it would stop zero days or all the attacks or whatever that marketing company is putting out there. But in reality, that security control has limitation. It has a CPU limitation. It has a memory limitation. It has limitations that adversaries are studying and exploiting and learning how to use those limitations to bypass those controls. And so again, it all comes back to the, to the idea is that security is, is managing risk. Um, and so you're never going to be 100% uh, safe, or at least for the time being of this podcast recording, there is no 100% safe in security. And so the question then becomes, okay, you invested in a controller. What's the compensating control? What's the observation capability? How would you know when that controller is not functioning? And that's by itself raised the question of how you test it, how you understand it. And yeah, it's another journey that customers need to take is explore their own defense and understand how well they behave. My favorite part of this podcast so far is the assumption that maybe sometime after this podcast, people can get 100% safe. <laughs> It seems it's, unlikely. It's, it's a great happen. goal. I mean, uh, I mean, obviously, we all would like that. You know, that there there is a lot of aspiration to make that state. But um, I, I really, I really, as, as we kind of discussed, there there is nothing magical in security that would make it function better than other software or other purposes of computers, right? Like you can have a bug in a computer game, you can have a bug in your, in your security control. So, yeah. So the last question we like to ask our guests is easily the most important question ever. Uh, I see on your back wall there, we kind of talked about this beforehand. You got several movies back there, you know, from Star Wars, Tron, Back to the Future. What is your favorite movie, TV show? I don't know if there's a musical out there that has to do with science. Uh I really want to, <laughs> there is no musical, but I really want to try to come up with one. Um Gosh, there was many good movies about, you know, security over the years. And there's also great analogies made um, from different movies. Um, I'm actually going to quote a movie that, that doesn't have anything to do with cybersecurity per se. But one of the quotes from that movie is actually something that, um, again, coming from an offensive perspective, I truly believe in it. And it's going to be Fight Club. So in Fight Club, there's a great quote that says, uh, on a long enough timeline, the survival rate of everybody drops to zero. And I think this is this is an important observation to be done in cybersecurity as well, as we just talked about it. There is no, I won't get hacked. It's not going to happen to me. It's when. And giving a long enough timeline, companies will make mistakes. Employees will make mistakes. Misconfiguration can happen. Maintenance day. All you need is one time for the adversary to catch that and, and the survival rate is, is down. And so, um, again, risk management is hard. I got to tell you, I don't think Fight Club has ever been brought up on this podcast before. So that's a first. Nicely done. Thank you. 
<laughs> We're also really leaning on you to write a musical about cybersecurity because <laughs> I can see in your Zoom background, you got all kinds of instruments. Yeah. Got, so. Well, I, I'm, I'm, I'm definitely, I mean, may, maybe I can try to compose the soundtrack of that <laughs> musical, but I'll definitely need some help in the, in the writing itself. But uh, yeah, up for the challenge if somebody else wants to join up and team up with a, a musical about cybersecurity. <laughs> Tyler, I'm putting your name in the hat. Yeah, let's do it. <laughs> He said, thank you so much for being with us. Today. It, was a it was a pleasure getting to know you. Great information. Uh, happy to have you on today. Thanks so much. Thank you, Gary. Thank you, Tyler. And there you have it, folks. Another great interview by us, Industrial Cybersecurity Pulse, with another great guest, Itzik. Uh, yeah, he had a lot of great things to say. The most interesting thing I think I took away from this, though, was the fact that he chose Fight Club for a cybersecurity movie. I thought that was very interesting. You don't hear that very often, but it was pretty... I, I like that. I, I enjoyed that, too. I, I, I Actually, as in my notes, as I was listening to him, I took down the quote, which is, in a long enough timeline, the survival rate of everyone drops to zero. Indisputable, very interesting, and kind of a cool corollary to, as he said, to cybersecurity, because as... As Itzik mentioned, and as a ton of people have mentioned, you know, it's not an if anymore. It's pretty much a when. Like, over a long enough timeline, if you were online, if you're a company that's online, it doesn't matter if you're a mom and pop. It doesn't matter if you're Siemens. It doesn't matter if you're ESPN. I'm going to use that because Tyler was just humming the ESPN theme. Um, you're going to get hit at some point. It's going to happen. So uh, so I thought that was interesting. I also liked his, uh, I've heard this before, but the comment he made about security used to be the department of no and that it really should be the department of how that people would be like, can we do this? And the security folks would go, no. Uh, but yeah, it's uh, it's about figuring out um, the way to do it that opens you up to the to the least risk. So I thought all that was really interesting. But but a lot of good, as I said in the intro, it was kind of like, and I, I don't think we intended the interview to be this way, but it sort of ended up being like the ABCs of industrial cybersecurity. Here's what you need to know. Here's what you need to watch out for. Here are some best practices. Here's how you build that culture. Uh, just a lot of a lot of really good stuff there that I think people hopefully will be able to take and make actionable. Yeah, and I also like too what he was saying about just one of the parts he was saying with uh, the best cyber hygiene practices. Right? If you if you don't if you can't update your actual OT systems and those different machines then you go to the second degree you go to the third degree right you go to the network itself connecting you to it then you go to it as the third degree just to help give you the best chance of of protection because as we've talked about before it's like just with cyber attacks it's who can outrun the bear the fastest so having these different layers to your cyber practices would help you know just kind of ward off those cybersecurity demons or cybersecurity uh threat actor demons uh, and just help give you the best chance for sure. I was having revenant flashbacks when you said who could outrun the bear the fastest, but uh, <laughs> that may just be me. But yeah, like like he said, like as you were just talking about, even safeguarding IT is a way to safeguard OT. You know, there are a lot mm -hmm. of breaches, especially you know breaches that come into the OT systems start in IT. So if you can protect IT, then you actually are protecting OT. It's not comprehensive, but it's one of the many levels of security you can put in there. Speaking of, if you're looking to safeguard your IT and OT environments within the industrial plant floor and industrial manufacturing, you Segway. should 
make sure you check out all the yeah, segue, all the other great information on industrialcybersecuritypulse.com, or if you prefer the shorthand version like me, icspulse.com, where we have a bunch of great content ranging from webcasts to ebooks to this very, very podcast. And uh, it's just a great place to learn and just to help increase your knowledge as a cybersecurity practitioner by reading what other cybersecurity practitioners are saying. Also, if you're just ha can't get enough of listening to Tyler and I talk, and if so, let us know why, because we're curious. Um, we, we have another podcast over on our control engineering brand. So if you go to control engineering, if you want to read about, you know, digital transformation, automation, all the things over there, uh, we've been talking a lot on that podcast about AI, the impact of AI on industrial automation, on cybersecurity, but that's uh, the Bridging the Gap podcast over on Control Engineering, controleng.com. Indeed. And if you want to reach us for any specific comments, I don't think you have any questions for us. <clears throat> I think you just have critiques. So if you want to reach us to critique us, uh, you can reach me at twall at cfemedia.com. And you can reach me at gcohen, G-C-O-H-E-N, at cfemedia.com. And until next time, when you listen to us later, stay safe out there. <laughs> Thanks for being with us again.